Welcome to Black Fashion History, the podcast that celebrates the contributions of Black people all around the world to the fashion industry. It's Black History, but make it fashion. And I'm your host, Taniqua Russ. How y'all doing? How y'all doing? Welcome back to another Black Fashion History lesson. As always, today I'm going to introduce some of you to a Black fashion figure that you may not have heard about, but you definitely need to know. You know, it's so important that we both honor and acknowledge all of the people that have done the work before us and paved the way in this fashion industry to bring us to the point where we are today, where Black talent can be in the forefront and there is more diversity in the industry. So I am dedicated to exposing you to these stories and preserving our history in this manner. And today's episode is no different. I had the amazing opportunity to interview milliner Lisa McFadden, and I can't wait to share her story with you all. Lisa McFadden is a New York City milliner with over 20 years of experience in the fashion industry. And in case you don't know what a milliner is, that's a really fancy smashy way to say hat maker. She studied millinery while earning her BFA in fashion design from American Intercontinental University in Atlanta, Georgia, and graduated with top craftsmanship honors. French couturier Pierre Cardin said of her work when he saw it as a student that she was a designer that knows her job. She's also a member of the Milliners Guild and serves on the board as well as their newsletters editor-in-chief. Her headpieces entitled Golden Child and Bird of Paradise have been displayed at the Metropolitan Museum of Art Mezzanine Gallery for the 2018 Holiday Exhibition and the 2019 Camp-themed Exhibition. And I know we all remember that fabulous Camp Exhibition. Her work has also been published in magazines like Fault Magazine and with Kiki Palmer wearing her hat on the cover, Women's Wear Daily, which is the premier fashion magazine for anyone that works in the industry, Rolling Out Magazine, and Today's Black Woman. She's also collaborated with many designers and notable Black fashion icons like Stephen Burroughs, who we have talked about in the podcast before, and designer Byron Lars. As you can tell, Miss Lisa McFadden has done pretty much everything under the sun. So let's get into a story. So I'd love to get started with a little bit of a background question. So can you share uh, just where you're from and what or who inspired you to first pursue fashion? Uh, I am originally from St. Louis, Missouri. Um, and I moved to Atlanta from there. Oh, cool. Uh, my, and then I moved to New York. But my roots in St. Louis are uh, steeped in my development, my my appreciation for fashion and style and, and uh, design really started with my mom. Of course, a lot of designers say that, you know, <laughs> a mom, an auntie, a grandma. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, uh, yeah, so it really started with my mom. My first, um, foray into fashion though was, um, my cousin making, uh, my first design for my junior ring dance in <laughs> high school. So, 
Yeah, she uh, definitely was a big part of pushing me forward um, and making me interested in uh, or getting me interested in moving to New York to go to FIT. Actually, that's where she wanted to go. She was in she is. I mean, she's still alive, but she uh, at the time she was just an excellent seamstress. And uh, I guess it runs in the family. OK, so you you know, you're interested in fashion. It's like a, a young girl, young teenager. And then you decide to shoot over to New York, um, go to FIT and just kind of fully immerse yourself in the experience. What was that like coming from St. Louis, which I mean, not necessarily a small town, but it certainly isn't like a New York City. Well, there's a, a few more things in between there. I okay. did actually, yeah, there's quite a few things. <laughs> um, leaving St. Louis, I left, uh, I moved uh, to Atlanta when I was mm-hmm. 19 and um, crashed with some friends that were going to Spelman at the time, my best friend. <laughs> and and some other friends. So, um, and I had gone to fashion school in Missouri, a small town, uh, something closer to home. And my mom was a little afraid of my going to New York at such a, a young age all by myself and not knowing anybody or anything. I was a fearless uh, little thing. So <laughs> I was ready to go. But um, I did that first and I was at that school for a year and managed to get a portfolio together. Um, of, and I grew so much just that one year I was at college studying fashion design. It was amazing how much my, um, I developed uh, my, my drawing skills. I always drew. So that's really how it started for me. I um, drew paper dolls and designed everything from the hairstyle to the shoes, you know? So um, I always drew, but they were small little sketches floating in the middle of the page, you know? So that one year at school, really, really, I mean, by the time I left there, I was drawing huge, like 11 by 16, 11 by 18, well, larger than that, um, much larger. I mean, the sketch pads were huge and um, drawing those kind of scales. So I started there, but I didn't have sewing skills. When I moved to Atlanta from St. Louis, I took my portfolio and a suitcase and I hit it out with a one-way ticket. And uh, I worked with a local designer. I found a local designer that was in the neighborhood um, and that's how I learned how to sew. She sewed very unconventionally without patterns. So I still didn't have any formal training, um, not for many years, actually. Um, I learned from her and um, also I have a talent or always had a talent for being able to figure things out. So the technical part of design was always, was an innate part, the STEM part, right? The, the science, technology, engineering, math part was always there. Um, I just didn't know how to use it, uh, in a, in a con- conventional way. So, um, I would turn, I would take um, clothes to the dressing room and at department stores and turn things that I found interesting and turn them inside out to see how they were made. So that's really how I learned how, you know, things are put together. And um, 
later on, I went to school in Atlanta uh, again, years later, because I had done a lot of designing while I was there in an unconventional sense. But I still yearned for like, I still felt like I was missing something. Right. So I went to, uh, I decided to go back to school and uh, got my degree. And then I came to New York. So while I was at school, I took a millinery class as well as an elective. Okay. So I want to backtrack a little bit. So you went from St. Louis to Atlanta. What made you first move to Atlanta? Um, well, I wanted to go to New York. That's mm-hmm. where I wanted to go. Um, and But I wasn't ready for New York, truly. I knew no one there. My mom was scared. She didn't want to say she was scared, but I know she <laughs> She was like, no, just go to this college here in Missouri. You know, it's like, are you really getting fashion in, you know, a little town in Missouri? No, I don't think so. I was, I was set on going to New York. Well, um, I ended up sidetracking a little bit just to, uh, you know, move forward. And at the time, Atlanta was hot, hot. It was on the verge, it was on the edge of becoming the hot place the hot next place especially for black create black people in general um houston was the place before that and atlanta was becoming the the it, that's why it's called hot lanta <laughs> so there was a lot of things going on it was really hot and so my friend said come on down come down here you know get out of st louis and, um, you know, you can come this way first and, and, you know, see what's happening. So that's what I did. Okay. Yeah. So when you took that millinery course at that moment, was it like, okay, yes, this is the direction that I think I want to go in in terms of fashion or uh, was it just that, just the course at the time? No, no, I was, uh, I was really on a fast track to New York. Actually, mm-hmm. I, um, over the years I had encountered quite a few people from New York. And, um, so I knew some people now I was a little older and, um, <clears throat> excuse me, when I returned to college, uh, cause I dropped out after that first year and I was in Atlanta just working, living and, um, when I decided to return to school, it was with the intention to move to New York after I finished so that I could actually work in the industry with that under my belt, with the degree under my belt. So um, that's how that came about. The millinery class was an elective because I needed one for school. So I took that because I like working with my hands. I enjoy creating, building things. And, um, and it was just fun. It was so much fun. Um, I had to, we were, you know, we, we hand blocked, we, we did haute couture sewing techniques and we, um, haute couture is high fashion where you, where you're hand sewing. And, um, we, you know, we built, we draped, we, everything that I did in fashion was applied to, um, millinery, which was really cool. Cause I was like, well, these are skills I already know. And, also learned some too. I learned a lot actually. <laughs> I knew nothing about making a hat. So it was, it was really cool. And then I got my degree and came to New York to work in the industry. Okay. And what was your experience like working in the industry? I know you've done um, some designing and some styling for film and television. Um, well, in Atlanta, like I said, Atlanta was hot and it was on the, it was just at the beginning of what is happening now there. 
Um, it has become kind of a, a filming mecca um, of sorts. At that time, though, um, I was involved with a uh, nonprofit organization called the Black Film Technician Society, which um, was very fresh um, when we, um, when I, you know, became one of the members. I wasn't a founding member, but um, it was early stage um, of film coming to Atlanta and commercials and TV, not a lot of TV, but a lot of filming, filming coming to Atlanta. So we wanted to make sure we were part of the conversation. We wanted to make sure we weren't let up, left out. And that's where my, um, the wardrobe costuming work came from. I mainly worked as an assistant when I was doing those types of jobs, but I did uh, manage to get some costume work here and there, uh, building some costumes for commercials. Um, but I, and I also, a lot of uh, music videos. So, nice. you know, we were doing a lot of that, a lot of shopping and styling. I also worked with the prop people, uh, which was cool um, with uh, building the sets out and things like that. So um, anything that, um, you know, I could do that was creative. And then when I came to New York, um, I switched gears completely and I was mainly working in um, the industry. What was that experience like in New York? Was it complete? I'm sure parts of it was completely different um, yeah. than Atlanta and St. Louis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now I was in the city that I'd always dreamt of living in, you know, and working in. And everything is here. Everything I saw in magazines, and I was a big magazine hoarder. <laughs> I loved, loved all my fashion magazines. And of course, Essence and Ebony and just all the black designers that I was like dying to meet. And, you know, I was like, oh, wow, you know, that's where all the famous black creatives are, you know, in New York. So in Essence, I always wanted to work at Essence. Always wanted to work there. Me too. Never yeah. made it though. <laughs> Not too late. Never been every year, you're right. <laughs> that's right. I'm, I might still end up working at Essence. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, it was, it was incredible because everything that I'd ever dreamt about, I was there. I was, I was here now, you know? Um, so the first thing I did, one of the first things I did when I came here was, was I had a file. This was before laptops and computers. It's <laughs> <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> I had files of tear sheets for magazines with all the, you know, designers and the stylists and the interior decorators and all the people that I wanted to, you know, I would love to talk to and, and meet um, were, um, I'm sorry, can you hear that noise? You're good? You can't no, hear. I don't hear anything. Okay, yet. okay, good. Um, were um, at my fingertips now, just like all the museums and the galleries and everything else. So I uh, reached out to the um, uh, BRAG, uh, which is Black Retail, ooh, the acronym, Black Retail Association, B-R-A-G, um, and that is, um, that's an organization that really spearheaded a group of creatives that um, would meet and talk about um, how to build presence in the industry across all lines, retail, design, photography, makeup, 
hair everything. And um, that was, um, I was invited to that by Constance White. And that's when I first met her um, with a cold call. This is something I learned in high school, in college. And that is um, that if you are trying to actually get your foot in the door, that you can, you know, do a cold call and ask for a short interview. And by doing so, at least you've made a connection. You, you're doing some networking and uh, it's a great way to, you know, introduce yourself and perhaps make something happen. Um, I didn't necessarily want to become a journalist. However, uh, Constance was the, new, the, um, the, re, the um, editor, the fashion editor at the New York Times. So, I mean, she was a big, she is a big deal. So, um, and I read about her and I was like, oh, wow, she is definitely, you know, a voice for us, you know, um, on the page and on the runway, from the runway to the page. So I um, reached out to her and I couldn't believe it because I call, I called the New York Times and asked for her and they put me through. <laughs> How crazy is that? <laughs> So, <laughs> so we spoke for a while. She invited me to the meeting um, at Bragg. And, um, and there I met some of the people that, you know, went on to become really huge in the industry. A lot of really heavy hitters um, were there. And so it was just amazing. So that was my transition into, you know, before I even had a job. You know, I'd already been able to network, which really let me know that fashion is a small world here in New York, even though there are so many people. It definitely is. I would venture to say it's a small world around the world (laughs) sometimes. Yes, yes, especially now. Yeah. So what was your first job in New York? Uh, My first job in New York was waiting tables. In my neighborhood. So you didn't get a chance to just jump right into the fashion scene? No. And I needed to work because I came to New York with a one-way ticket. No, that was Atlanta. But I felt the same way (laughs) when I came to New York because it's so expensive. Um, There's just no amount of money that could really prepare you for this move unless, Mm -hmm. you know, you're a millionaire or something. But... um, you just don't know how long it's going to take to get a job. Right. Um, and, you know, I needed to get busy right away, which was actually really great because um, actually some of the people that I met, uh, I ended up meeting the uh, future editor-in-chief of Essence, uh, Monique Greenwood, who had bought, uh, she and her husband had bought a, uh, a mansion that was in the neighborhood in Bed Stuy, which is where I land. Oh, that's where I'm from. Originally. Are you from Bed Stuy? I am. I live in Atlanta now, but originally that's where I'm from. <laughs> so you know what I'm talking about? Yes, um, Aquaba Mansion. Yes, and the rest. That, that was my a, first job. I did a project on it when I was in fifth grade. <laughs> Well, <laughs> we had to talk about our neighborhoods and the amazing landmarks, and that was one of them. Yes, yeah, the history behind the the, the structure is, is really interesting, and the whole neighborhood. But yeah. that's where, yeah, that's where I, I um, 
I actually sublet from someone I went to college with and um, fashion school with and uh, just got a hookup. But really, my whole move to New York was seamless, um, you know, uh, remarkably. Um, it was it was really um, it was really, you know, divine intervention. I think, you know, everything just like flowed. And that was my first job. So it was right there in the neighborhood. I could make some chips. I got to meet the people, you know, and the train was right there. <laughs> the subway was right there. <laughs> that was my first job. My first fashion job, though, was um, what was my first fashion job? Oh my gosh, I freelanced so much. Um, <laughs> my first fashion job, I believe was um wow I didn't expect that question I can't even remember it's been so long (laughs) I'm pretty sure it was freelancing and uh for some reason I want to say it was at um it was at a private label company I think um yeah I can't remember which one. I worked out a lot. I worked out a lot. Career. I, float, I floated around a lot. I can tell you the first time I designed something, I can tell you when that was. Yes, and please share. That was uh, when I was, I was living in Brooklyn, uh, mm-hmm. of course, uh, in Bed-Stuy, and uh, on Atlantic Avenue. So there was a boutique there that was owned by this black woman, and she sold everything in there was hemp. So I thought that was really cool. Um, and she had all types of products, not just fashion. As a matter of fact, she did, she had little fashion, which is why uh, I became like an in-house designer for her, for her boutique. So I took the hemp fabric that she had and designed pieces for her shop. So, and we did, uh, she even did a little fashion show in the back, um, which I have some footage of that is a uh, part of a series called My Story that I started to do last year. But I have the footage from that video, um, the, the video from that fashion show. So that was the first fashion show I did and the first design job I had. Making so clothes. At what point in your career did you say, okay, I want to switch gears or was there like a moment where you decided to go into the millinery direction or did it kind of happen like seamlessly and you just fell into it? Um, well, um, I've been working, I've been freelancing for a, a long time at different companies and I did everything from, um, sketching, um, actual sketching and sketching an illustrator um, to designing and assisting and working in sweaters and just all across the board, right? Just working. And um, then I kind of fell into tech design, which is not so creative. It's more of, again, of that engineering. It's that engineering uh, job in the, in the business where you are a technician. That's why it's called tech design. And it's like you're a um, uh, yeah, fashion engineer and you're telling all the different uh, partners, um, you're giving them the information, you're disseminating. Um, they're bringing it all to you and you're putting it all in a package to give to the factory. 
And um, I fell into that because I have pattern making skills. And that's pretty important, pretty good plus. Um, fashion design is very sat- oversaturated. There's so many people here that are either trained or untrained. Everyone's saying they're a designer. Yeah. And there's just a lot of competition there. And the main thing for me was um, making a living in the industry. So that is why I ended up um, doing tech work because of my pattern making skills, I was able to get work that designers that didn't have the skill set weren't able to get. Um, (laughs) Excuse me. And as far as millinery goes, um, um, I, I just, I, I was in between freelance jobs and I needed to do something creative again (laughs) because tech is not so creative. And, um, I, uh, I went and got some blocks some hat blocks from a place called Manny's that was the place to go for all your millinery supplies and needs. And I went there, got a couple of blocks, got some blocking supplies some hoods and, and, and cape lines and came back and I blocked some blocks and hats and invited some friends over to my studio <laughs> there and put hats on my on my bookcase and on my lamps and things like that as displays. And and another friend um, catered, you know, she enjoyed cooking, so she made brunch. So we had a hat brunch and it was so much fun. Oh my gosh, it was amazing. And these were peer, friends and peers from all the different companies that I'd worked at. And I was like, hey, come on over, I'm doing this now, you know, check this out. And then they started calling people to come. And so the place was full. It was packed full of people, my studio, and they were waiting to place their orders. It was, and that was a sign. I was like, okay, well, this is something, this is something. So that is how I started making hats. But shortly after that, I started working as an assistant to Stephen Burroughs, the iconic, fabulous designer. How did that happen? Another cold call. (laughs) You are the queen of cold calls. <laughs> I could, I accept that. <laughs> you have to have uh, fearlessness, you know, and, and it's not necessarily something that only the young have because I went back to school at 35. So I have, I have, have been around a little bit, you know, and you can become a little jaded with, you know, as, as you get older and a little less, um, a little less uh, willing to take chances, mm-hmm. but I've always been, I guess, fearless in that way. And, you know, you just have to try it and just see what happens. And I was at a point where I was like, you know what, I want to do what I want to do, you know, and I want to, I want to see, you know, I want to work with Stephen Burroughs. Now that was just like a crazy kind of thing. Just, I just want to work with Stephen Burroughs, you know, this man went to, you know, he was the one, he was the youngest and the only black person chosen to go to Versailles to mm-hmm. represent the United States, you know, in this quote unquote battle of Versailles. Um, and because he was chosen for his innovation and style and what he was bringing to the industry at the time. And, uh, 
So I knew all about him. And I was like, wow, he's in Harlem? What? I think I read it in WWB or something that he was, um, that he had just opened a studio in Harlem. And I was like, get out of here. What? I'm getting ready to call. <laughs> so I did. I did. I called. I spoke with um, his manager. I, I don't even know how I got the phone number, but I was able, <laughs> I was able to. And um, yeah, I called and spoke with his, uh, his partner, his business manager, his partner, and um, went for an interview, took my portfolio, talked to them, and I became an admin slash assistant. And so it was awesome. I was, I was sitting there at the throne. <laughs> What is, if you can pinpoint like one major thing that you learned from that experience, what would it be? Um, it would be that you don't have to work for a company to design. And that was the lesson I learned then. Mm -hmm. Of course, I think that it's more palatable, very easy to believe now, especially yeah. with the advent of social media and, you know, and all the ways that you can market yourself and create your own, your own world of fashion. And, um, but at that time, um, you know, like when I came to New York, it was under the guise of, oh, okay, now I have my degree. Now I want to see what it's really like in the industry for real you know, and have that real experience. I'm not saying that it wasn't a good thing because it definitely had a lot of pluses, but um, that is the thing that I learned from, because Steven never worked for, he never officially worked for anyone. He like worked mm -hmm. in, um, he worked with Bendel's, um, you know, as an in-house designer, but it wasn't necessarily, he always was independent in that way. And when he finished school, he went straight out and was like, you know, he just went ahead and just started designing and, and um, you know, started his own business. And uh, from that, that really kind of drove me and made me think, you know what? I think that I could probably just do something on my own. I don't necessarily have to have that umbrella, um, you know, of a corporate, a corporate umbrella, you know to keep me, to keep me, you know, um, to make me feel like, um, to make me feel like I'm actually, you know, um, official. Yeah. No, that's completely understandable. And as you mentioned, that is certainly something that we're seeing in today's, you know, industry with the onset of social media and, you know, all of the different accesses that people have right now. Uh, so it is amazing that that was also something that could happen, you know, years ago. Yeah. So what are some of the major challenges that you face as you were starting to like build your career and build your brand and your own business? Um, well, in brief, I could say one of the major challenges in trying to build a career in the fashion industry is the pigeonholing 
the pigeon holding that can happen once you, um, and I learned this very easily by freelancing because once you took a job, then it was on your resume mm-hmm. and all of a sudden that's all anybody thought you could do. So it really had to make your own way, really fight through that um, to get out of that vice grip of, okay, this is your pocket and this is what people expect that you can do. And this is what they want you to do. Not necessarily looking at your potential or your other experience. And so that's why freelancing in different places, doing different types of things was more of a strategy for me to take on different types of jobs. So I would not be, I did end up being uh, pigeonholed in, in tech design though, as a result of that. And so I actually didn't work as a designer um, again until I struck out on my own um, as a milliner. Um, I'm sorry, what was the second part? The biggest challenge for my business? Yeah, like when you struck out on your own, what was some of the challenges that you faced? Well, I would tell you one thing. (laughs) No matter how much planning um, I did um, and how much I believed and had faith that I was doing exactly what I was supposed to be doing as a creative uh, with this business and starting it, the first, I would say the first couple of months, I would wake up just with a gasp. It was really um, quite, uh, and I was surprised because I felt very comfortable mm-hmm. and in line with the universe for what I was supposed to be doing, you know, and I felt very comfortable and I knew that I was on the path that I was supposed to be on. And I still woke up with some anxiety. It's always a little, um, at least for me, um, you know, when, and I'm very sure for a lot of people, um, because I, I will, you know, take chances, but people that wouldn't necessarily take chances, it might be even harder for them to uh, transition from a constant paycheck to I got to go make that money. Yeah, it's a scary. Some other kind of way, <laughs> you know? It's, like, it's a scary thing to that lack yeah. of stability in a sense. Yeah. Very scary. Yeah. I mean, you know, I had, I had a safety net, you know, I mean, I, I saved, I planned, I worked toward it. You know, i worked toward moving into this new life, you know, for myself, but I still, you know, woke up like, (laughs) okay, okay. And jump out of bed, feet hit the floor. And it's like, okay, let's move, you know? And that's the way, but that's the way it is anyway. That's never stopped. Yeah. On the floor, hit it, go, you know, but the anxiety, you know, subsided long ago, but that, that was a challenge just getting over that, um, that psychological, um, uh, the, the reality, the reality check, you know, every morning that, okay, you know what? It's on me. It's, it's all on me now. Um, yeah. And then, you know, proof, proof is in the pudding, you know, hats sold and, and I survive. <laughs> <laughs> you get through some things 
you overcome them, the and you know, and just stay faithful, you know, stay positive, stay motivated. Remember why you're doing it. You know, people say that your why, your why. That's very mm-hmm. important um, to stay focused. You know, um, another big challenge for me though is because I am pretty much a solopreneur. I don't have uh, an official team mm-hmm. uh, yet. This still something I'm working for, but I, that experience that I had working in the fashion industry was invaluable because I am able to do a lot of things in my business myself, which helps out a lot when funds get tight, you know, things happen and you have to, you know, you have to move things around, figure things out right? um, in different ways, be creative in a lot of, in business ways, you have to be creative. You mentioned, um, you know, one as a motivator, I guess, to keep going is knowing your why. What would you say your why is? Uh, My why is um, that I'm here on the planet to create. That's why I'm here. Mm -hmm. That is why I'm here. It's very clear to me. It's crystal clear. Um, and that, that has been, that's part of it. The other part is the result of that. Like what I hear back from clients, what I hear back from people, the stories that I've heard from people, you don't realize how much what you do impacts other people and how it makes them feel, um, how, um, it's uplifting to people. You just don't know that until you hear it. You know, I'm doing my, you know, I'm doing, I'm making hats and, and I'm trying to spread some joy, you know, and some creativity and bring something light and fun into people's world. And, um, and then the icing on that is to find out that it's working. Yeah. Yeah. So what was that feeling like when you sold that first hat or you started getting those first orders in and you realized, okay, this might just work? It was incredible. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's really like, what? <laughs> hey, it's just a, you know, we're just having some fun. I got some, I made some hats, you know. And I was like, oh my gosh, people are ordering. They're calling other people to come. People I don't know. They're inviting their friends and their sisters and and I was like, okay, this is, this is something. I, I tell you another turning point too, when I, uh, my signature hat is the crush cap. And that's the hat that I started doing, the casual hat that I started doing around the same time I did that um, trunk show. And um, I was living in Bed-Stuy, had locks and couldn't find a hat to fit my head. So I designed this hat. And I uh, started hearing other people on the street saying the same thing I was thinking going down the street. My head is cold. I can't, can't find a head. I can actually hear people saying that. I can't find a hat. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. I did something about that. So uh, years later, like I sold the hats at that time. But then I went into corporate life full time as a permanent employee at um, Gap. And I was there for many years. And so around 2013, someone reached out to me on, on Facebook and it was one of my original clients 
from 10 years ago, 10 years prior, asking if I was the same person and if I was still selling that hat. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> okay, I hear you. I hear you. All right, so let's go. <laughs> you got so, back uh, selling those hats? Yep, I went back to selling those hats. And, and I also, I ran into a couple of other, I didn't run into them. This client actually reached out to me personally mm-hmm. on Facebook. Then I saw someone on the subway now all these years, but I saw someone on the subway with my iconic, the iconic hat, which is the hat that I used to use on my cards and stuff. It's I still use that photo of me um, with locks and I'm wearing a big crush cap. And um, I saw someone on the subway wearing one of my hats. I was like, wow. Did you say something to them? No. (laughs) (laughs) Why not? No, I didn't say anything. I was just paying attention. You know, a big part of this is sometimes you just need to be quiet. You know, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't thinking anything about that at the time, you know, but I was just like, you know what? Wow. That is really, I was just more, it was more about paying attention to what's going on around me and just trying to like, just trying to follow. um, I'm a spiritual person. I'm not necessarily a religious person, but I believe in, you know, paying attention and, and that there's a reason for things. And, um, but you gotta be still. And I'm very busy, busy, busy. My mind is always going. So I was just paying attention, you know, and taking note. I was like, okay, that's the second person that has reached out to me in over 10 years in a different kind of way, but you're, the creator is putting this person in my space, you know, and letting me see, okay, maybe you should do something here. And then it happened one more time and that was it. I was like, okay, all right. I accept it. This is what I'm supposed to do. So what are you looking forward to accomplishing next? Like, how do you, you know, intend to push the brand forward and, you know, just push your legacy in general forward? Um, I have so many ideas, Sneekwa. It's My <laughs> head is going to pop. It always feels like it's going to pop open. Um, I just try to, I just try, again, just try to be still and just pay attention. Um, can't do everything at once. That's for sure. What I will be doing um, is um, right currently is working on collaborations. So another designer that I'd always admired, Byron Lars. Oh, I know. Um, yeah. Reached I'm familiar out. With him. Huh? I said I'm familiar with him. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He and Sheila Gray, his partner, reached out to me to collaborate on fall 21 campaign that's up on CFBA website right now. My hats, my headpieces and hats are there. Um, I also collaborated. Um, I was invited to show with, um, one of my clients who is a fantastic jewelry designer, um, from the Philippines. And, um, I did that during a little, you know, after fashion week, um, and uh, the collaborations are happening, and I really enjoy that. That is a way that I'm trying to get my millinery message out mm-hmm. because the crush 
tribe is solid. They are there. <laughs> they are solid. I'm definitely growing that and working to grow, um, grow the crush tribe even more. Um, but um, I'm also focusing more and more on the millinery um, part of things and trying to do more bespoke pieces um, and those collaborations. I do have, um, I did work on a project over the summer that will be, um, I can't really talk about it until it's out, but um, okay. I'm pretty excited about it. And it was a self, um, 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 an independent production. And, um, you know, the great thing about right now and what's happening in fashion and in general with business is that you have, you have so much power uh, over your story and who you want to expose yourself to. Who you want to get, you know, you, you can create, you don't have to wait for anyone to, again, validate you. You know, like, I need to go to school, I need to get this degree, and then work in the industry. There's no real, there's no real set um, uh, prototype for how you can move yourself forward as a creative person you know, and, and market yourself. So there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of people want to do things together. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot, it takes me back to what I did uh, when I was in school, you know, we were encouraged to work together, you know, get together with your, your, your friends and do things. Or when I was with black film technician society, we were all there. We all had the components and mm -hmm. we all came together and started working on our own independent projects you know so it's like you that trip that it transcends time and nothing is better than um working with other creatives which I really enjoy doing so that's what I'm doing currently um definitely looking forward to working with my creative friends and new friends um growing the crush tribe and um, getting the millinery um my millinery message out even more that is definitely starting to grow um, which I'm excited about as well. And uh, talking to talking to people like you, Tanikwa, right. and, and your listeners and sharing my story and hopefully, you know, um, hopefully it helps. And that's it, guys. Thanks again for tuning into another episode of Black Fashion History. If you love what you heard, and I know that you did, make sure to follow us on all podcasting platforms and on social media at Black Fashion History Podcast. You can also find us on our website at www.blackfashionhistory.com. But of course, above all else, tune again next week for another Black Fashion History installment. Bye-bye.